Hello, friend and colleague. It's Nikki from Full Voice Music. On our show today, episode 163, I have two fabulous guests. The first returning expert is Steve Farrell. Steve is a therapeutic counselor, a yoga and meditation teacher. And our topic today is mindfulness for time-crunched humans. That's all of us, but you know where I'm going with that. And I am thrilled to introduce a new expert that will be helping us uh, here on the Full Voice Podcast. That's Angela Winter. Not only is she a voice teacher, but she is a website design expert, and she has so many wonderful things to help us with our own websites. So we have mindfulness and we have websites that work right here on the Full Voice Podcast. Hello there, friend and colleague. How are you today? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for pressing play on this podcast. Whatever you are doing right now, I hope you are enjoying yourself. I want to shout out to all the teachers from around the world, wherever you are uh, listening from. I am sending you a big virtual hug from Hemford Forest, Nova Scotia. And if you are listening to this podcast at time of release or around time of release, it is season change time. We are transitioning from our cold, cold winter into a very uh, interesting spring. And one of the things that happens at this time of year that I have always found through my 30 years of teaching is uh, it's kind of a crazy time. As we are trying to get our students ready for recitals, for exams, for performances, for assessments, it's also the time of year where families and students are signing up for their warm weather activities, whether it's sports or camps or certifications. Like It's just a busy time of year. And I know that uh, it's very easy for if, if I get wrapped up in trying to figure out the logistics of my recital this year and all the things going on, it can be very overwhelming. So I wanted to bring on uh, my good friend, Steve Farrell, who is not only a wonderful yoga and meditation teacher, Steve is a therapeutic counselor. And I, I asked him the question, you know, how do we find moments of mindfulness? How do we stay present when we're so busy? And that's one of the things I always struggle with. So Steve is sharing some incredible strategies and some wonderful, wonderful uh, just, just wonderful insight. And I hope that, uh, I hope that you can get some takeaways to help see you through this very challenging time, uh, not only for your own peace of mind, but so that you can professionally manage the requests and the questions and all of the things that are happening with families. Because if you can do that gracefully, well, that is going to really serve you and your families well. So without further ado, friends and colleagues, Mr. Steve Farrell. Welcome back to the Full Voice Podcast, my friend, my colleague, my yoga meditation teacher, therapeutic counselor, real funny guy, Steve Farrell. 
<laughs> and of course, my listeners couldn't see the face that you just made, but it was funny. So, <laughs> or that I did like little jazz hands. I know, too. right? <laughs> um, today, I wanted I wanted to ask you about this, and we've talked about this before because this is something that I personally struggle with, and I figure I am not alone. Mm-hmm. I I cannot sit for a long time. I really struggle. I, uh, for a couple of reasons, and these are not excuses. And Steve's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> he's like, whatever. Sure, Nikki. Nikki sure, okay. they're not. So I struggle with sitting one because uh, I have a piriformis muscle that is giving me a lot of grief. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I have a problem with the list that is in my of things I need to do in my head Mm -hmm. that just permeates into that space that I'm trying to create. But I, I have been trying to find smaller times to, to be present, to be mindful. And I wanted to, I wanted to speak to you about that because as, as we are all time crunched and I know that my listeners, uh, my voice teachers, independent business owners, you know, we wear many hats, you know, we're, you know, maybe we're parents, we're running a studio, we have a ton of students, we could be performing, we could be music directors, we like, there's just so, so many of my friends and colleagues have more than one job. And so I wanted to talk to you today about simple mindfulness strategies for those of us that are just really time crunched. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I think a good starting point for that is to recognize that there's many philosophies around mindfulness these days. Um, so one of the things that like that I talk about a lot with, um, let's say my colleagues, um, or students sometimes that don't know about it is the difference between what we might call just like general mindfulness, which is a lot of what we talk about, um, like in like Western culture, North America type stuff. Um, or like, I, I can't even say like Western anymore because now it's just global culture. Um, and like, so the difference between general mindfulness or what I'll call umbrella mindfulness, and then what we might call like mindfulness proper, which is like the actual tradition that a lot of what we know as mindfulness comes from. There's a tradition of mindfulness, like an Indian tradition of mindfulness. And I think that it's good to recognize that because the way that mindfulness has been marketed to us as a culture is that it's really about like de-stressing and being calm and like sometimes like not thinking thoughts or like being able to like create a space that's like really like serene and, and I, I don't want to poo-poo on that idea because I think that there's merit to that. I think that there's merit to teaching somebody how to de-stress and calm down. Um, but then, like, let's say within the mindfulness proper idea that mindfulness is not about being just calm and present. Like that's part of it for sure. But that as we get more um, air quotes present or more calm, like what do we do with that calmness? Like how do we investigate what's happening in our lives, in our minds, in our bodies, in our world. Um, that's sort of like the where mindfulness goes. And so I think that it's really good for people who like try to sit down for extended periods of time um, and maybe their body is sore 
is like you can find a different position, which is great. Um, like I spent a bunch of time sitting in a chair when my knee was flared up. Like a couple of years ago, like my right knee, because I have an old injury from working in a factory for a really long time. And I couldn't sit cross-legged on my cushion, like unless I wanted to be in pain. And so I was like, and it was interesting because there was a part of me that was like, well, meditators don't sit in chairs. Meanwhile, I know a bunch of really good meditators that sit in chairs. So my mind was like latching onto that idea. And I spent a good six months, six to eight months just sitting in a chair in my living room. And it was beautiful because then I could, I wasn't battling against the pain in my body as a way to sort of find some of that calmness or that presence, right? Like I wasn't absorbed in the pain of my knee. Um, but to also recognize that like, when somebody comes to me and they're like, well, I've tried mindfulness, but I can't stop thinking. And I was like, well, if you're trying to not think anything, I wish you the best of luck with that practice. <laughs> like, if that's the goal for you, good effing luck. <laughs> good <laughs> luck. Because what I see is that, like, like, let's say these more calm or sometimes like trance style states that we hear about meditative practice. Like, I'm going to say those are byproducts. Those are, or like when, when we hear the Dalai Lama talk about like um, happiness, right? That happiness isn't a goal. Happiness is a byproduct of being more present and open and accepting to what's happening in your life in any given moment. And so I think that that can be really a really helpful perspective to take on any kind of mindfulness is that I'm not trying to necessarily stop my thoughts from happening because good luck with that. Um, as long as you're a human in a body having experiences and you've got a brain, there's going to be some thinking there. Um, and the more stuff you have to do, or I'm going to say the more people that you take care of in your life, there's going to be more thinking. There's going to be more thinking. Um, there's a really wonderful uh, a teacher. Her name is Pema Chodron. I don't know if you're familiar mm. with Pema. I live in um, her province now, Steve. Yeah, you live in Nova Scotia <laughs> now. So you could very easily, like, one thing, so you could go see Pema. I would love that. But one thing that Pema says, because she's, like, the head of um, a, a center, she's, like, the head of a, a temple, she has a lot of people that she takes care of and that she, she has to be there for. And one thing that I love that Pema has said, she's, like, 40-plus years of meditation and I figured out I have an absolutely unworkable mind wow. that I've dedicated my life to. So when she sits down, it's not that there's no thinking. It's just that she's present with moments of a lot of thinking. Or I'm present with moments of lists. Or I'm present with, like, let's say for me on a busy day, I sit in the morning. And if I, if I know that I have a busy day, sometimes I won't check my work schedule before I sit. But sometimes I do. Um, just to be like, okay, well, do I have to like move quicker this morning because I have an earlier client? And if not, then I'll I'll take my time. Um, but then if I look at my schedule before I sit, then there's a part of my mind that latches onto that and it keeps him, okay, you got a 9.30, you got a 10.30, you got an 11.30, you got five or six clients back to back to back. And then I'm just present for the fact that my mind is listening or preparing and and it's not that I get wrapped up in that. Like, that's the idea. It's like, I'm trying not to get necessarily get wrapped up in the list making. But I can see that the, my mind is doing lists. I'm like, oh, here's my mind doing lists. And that's a big part of the mindfulness perspective is that I can, with enough practice, the cool thing is, and we'll get little glimpses like this 
all the time in our lives is being able to watch what the mind is doing is a big part of mindfulness practice. Not stopping the mind from doing what it does, but having this meta-awareness, meta being like beyond, awareness beyond awareness, I can be aware of myself being aware. And then the cool thing is, is like once I kind of like either hit that place in a single session or once I've built up enough momentum from practice, is I can just sit down, close my eyes, feel my breathing. And my breathing almost becomes like a home base for me to then notice what my mind does with the experiences that I'm having. And then that's, and I think that that's pretty cool that I can watch what my mind does instead of being just wrapped up in what my mind is doing, which is, I think, what most people are experiencing is that there's almost no separation between what their mind is thinking and how they're feeling about it. Right, they get wrapped up in, we, we say it like a lot of times in meditation or in, in therapy sometimes, we get wrapped up in mind states where they consume us, right? Um, and so part of mindfulness practice is being able to just recognize that you're having a thought. Oh, well, yeah, there's a thought right there. And that's like, that's actually, and so instead of like, no thoughts, no thoughts, no thoughts, no thoughts, be like, oh, oh, there's a thought. Oh, there's a thought about my dog. Oh. It's interesting how the thought about my dog turns into another thought and then another thought and then another thought. Mm. Um, does that make sense? It does. One of the things okay. that you helped me to understand, and also I, I, I love Michael Stone um, and yeah. his podcasts, yeah. the um, Awake in the World um, podcast is so yeah, helpful. It's, that, it's been, that was such a huge inspiration for me. Yeah. Um, and I, continues, continues to be, I'm really sad that he's gone. Yeah, me too. And, uh, one of the things that I became more aware of in sitting or in just being focusing is that mm -hmm. how many of my thoughts turn into these completely untrue stories yeah, like, absolutely. And man, can I go deep in those <laughs> stories? It's like, and and I find, and and I, I still get caught up in them, of course. But I, but now I can stop and go. This isn't true. This that that didn't yeah. happen. That I, I'm making up a story about something, you know that that hasn't happened yet and probably won't happen. And I'm all, I'm literally physically upset about this made up story. I think, I don't know if it was you, do you, was it, was it you that called it time traveling? Was that No, you? it wasn't, but totally, I totally get that. Right. Like I totally I've, get that idea. I've gone into the future and made up this entire scenario based on that one thought that is yeah. completely like fictional. <laughs> For sure. And as far as we know, we're the only species that does this. Like we're the only species that like projects ourselves into the future or projects ourselves into the past. Like we try to do that. Or um, the technical term is reify, where the mind tries to make something that's not real, real. Right? And the mind can do this all the time. Like, um, like I feel we've, I feel everybody has had a scenario in their life where they're like approaching a conversation that maybe they don't want to have with somebody. And then in the moment about thinking about the conversation and where that conversation might go and how it might happen, you start to have a little bit of a panic attack or your heart rate elevates, you get sweaty armpits. And then you'd be like, it's not real. Like, that's not real. What's happening. Like you're not having that conversation right now, but the mind, the mind and the body is so intimately connected that 
it feels like you're having that conversation, even though you're not in the room with that person. And and it, and I always, I always, I always get a little frustrated too. It's like, oh, I went there again. Thanks, yeah, brain. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in act, we call that getting hooked. Yeah, like we got oh. we got hooked. Oh, and sometimes we don't know that we've been hooked until like what I'll say is like I don't know that I've been hooked until I'm a fish in a cooler in a boat. <laughs> and then you're like, how did I get here? Right. How did I get in this cooler in this boat? And so like part of it is even being able to like, I like what you said there because then you can recognize that you're getting hooked by something. And if you can recognize that you're getting hooked by something, at least you have a chance to unhook. Like at least there's a chance for that. And then the better you get at it, then what happens is you start seeing the hook coming and you're like, oh, I see you. And you look very seductive, but I'm not going to bite not you. Gonna, I know gonna that, I'm not going to fall yeah. for that. But like, if we could say like quick mindfulness things for like people without a lot of time to sit, like I sit for, I try to sit for 30 minutes a day, mm-hmm. um, if not more sometimes. Uh, but that's because I love meditation practice. Like I really do. Like even on the days when I know my mind is going to be unruly, or if I'm dealing with something like really heavy in my mind, um, like I still really enjoy practice, um, which keeps me coming back. Like it's that, it's the thing that keeps me coming back. Did you, have you always enjoyed it or did you have to, okay, good. Um, that makes me feel better. Well, let's say this. When I first started meditating, I would do practices that felt good. Um, so in the beginning I chanted a lot. Um, for those of you that don't know about my background, I come I started meditation via more yogic style traditions. So a lot of chanting. Um, and the chanting was really nice as a way to practice attention because I was doing something. I wasn't just sitting there with my eyes closed, feeling my breath, hoping that I didn't get wrapped up in a story. I'm doing something. And the doing of the thing is part of the meditative practice. I also love music so and I love to sing. So chanting was natural, right? I've, I've always been singing ever since I was little. Um, and so chanting was a really accessible meditation style practice for me. And then what I also noticed from chanting is like how very easily I could keep chanting, but that my mind would still go and get wrapped up in other stuff that I don't have. to. And I think this is really important for, for everybody is to recognize that like you could be doing something that requires a degree of focus and concentration but the more and more you do that repetitively, even chanting can get put into autopilot, just like driving a car or like talking to your partner. And then you're like, you're, I'm, I'm there chanting. And then I notice that my mind is like drifted off and is doing something else. And I'm like, no, come back. But that was a huge realization for me was just that like, because even though I got distracted by something, I didn't stop chanting. Like my, there was a part of me that could continue with that while my mind was off somewhere else having another conversation about something, right? Like, or I could chant and then be having a conversation with myself about how well I'm chanting or not chanting. And then I'm like, oh, no, no, you're not actually chanting anymore. You're talking to yourself about chanting, right? And then come back, come back, come back. But yeah, I would say in the beginning for people that want to start to get into mindfulness or like they want to actually take on a meditation practice. I think the key in the beginning, try a few different techniques, find one that's actually pleasurable. Like that either you're good at it right away. Like I was good at chanting. So it was nice. Um, or something that's like you're good at or that it's pleasurable. So I like breath. Breath is like my thing, but I know people that don't like breath. They don't like 
sometimes, especially in the world of therapy, for some people, the breath can actually be very triggering. So you don't go breath. Um, you could listen to sounds, right? Like you could put on a CD with the sound of waves and just listen to the sound of waves. And then when you notice that you're not really listening anymore, you're like sort of half-ass listening, then you, oh, oh, I've drifted away. Okay, come back, listen to the waves again. Um, or I'm a big fan of movement meditations, like walking meditation. And for me, walking meditation isn't um, like looking at the tree, like not that that's not a viable style, like looking at the trees and noticing what's happening around me. Because in Zen, we use a, a technique of walking meditation called kinyin, which what you're trying to do is actually really stay in the feeling of your feet, leaving the ground and then making contact, leaving the ground and then making contact. Um, which I feel is one of the things that I also love about yoga is that I'm not, for me, I'm not using yoga as a way, as a primary way to like exercise or stay limber. Um, for me, yoga is a movement-based mindfulness practice that I'm trying to like feel what I'm doing, notice what my mind does at the same time, how I could be in a position or a movement, noticing what my mind is doing with what it is that I'm doing. How is my breath responding to what it is that I'm doing in any given moment? And then using that feedback to sort of guide how I move my body or where I move my body. And I think that that can be really good leeway in for people who like want to be able to do mindfulness, but don't want to like sit down for an extended period of time is any time can be mindfulness practice. If you are a human in a body and you are awake, anything that you're doing can be mindfulness. practice. When we had the studio in Hamilton, there was that long hallway to the, where the studio was and it, you had to go down the hallway to the stairs. And I remember practicing, uh, just walking down the hall because there was nobody there and I you know it was nice to get up and and it was just you know a couple of times slowly back and forth and and I found that helpful um yeah uh, but but again and just for like a, a small period of time um I remember doing um uh it was a workshop it, we went to Buffalo it was like a level one of the uh, Shambhala uh, yeah. meditation yeah. series and I went down with my girlfriend and it was a, an entire day of like sitting for very long periods of time and then we did some walking meditation for very long periods of time <laughs> and then we would then we would sit and for very long periods of time <laughs> you see where I'm going with this Steve right yeah and I remember the second one sitting and this is like before lunch. So now I'm hungry and I'm, my brain goes to like the dark places. Like there's a room full of people and I'm like, what would happen if I yelled really loud right now? Just, just to startle people. And then I wanted to laugh because now I'm trying to suppress my laugh as I'm sitting in yeah. quiet. So you see, you see listeners why I have a teacher to help me through all of this. But um, what, uh, thank you. You mentioned something. I want to bring this up. You mentioned something uh, in a class once about even just like in a, in a mundane task, like say maybe washing dishes. How, yeah. how could somebody, how could somebody just, just take a moment and, and something like that? How does that work? So, I, this is the way that I, I like to think of it is that 
like let's say in in like future or experienced meditators there's this idea that arises out of of uh, buddhist tradition where the phrase is that the mind is the final refuge like the mind is the final like our mind or if i like uh if i go um uh, bob marley none but ourselves can free our minds right like that's a line from a bob marley song none but ourselves can free our minds in buddhism there's this phrase that the mind is the final refuge which is scary for a lot of people when a lot of the times we're trying to escape our minds, like we're trying to be mindful so that we're not so stuck in our, our heads. Um, but like, that's law, that's long-term where the mind, where you actually start to pay attention to what the mind is doing. Um, but I think in the beginning is if the, the problem is, is we get too wrapped up in thinking, we get too wrapped up in mind states or mind stuff, come back to something that's not thinking, come back to, the feeling of a thing, right? The, the, like the sensory tactile feedback of something. Come back to your ears, hear something. Come back to your eyes, see something. Come back to your nose, smell something. Come back to your tongue, taste something. Like just come to your senses, which like, I don't know if we've talked about this in, in previous podcasts, but like that phrase, just come to your senses is usually used to talk to like, air quotes, crazy people. Like if somebody's acting crazy, which means that they're probably wrapped up in a mind state, you're like, just come to your senses. And I was like, maybe that's what that actually means is come back to your senses. Because I can be washing dishes and be wrapped up in stories about stuff. And when I notice that I'm wrapped up in stories about stuff, I can like look at the bubbles. I can wash my, I can watch myself washing a plate i can feel the warm water on my hands or something that i like to do when i'm getting really distracted is um because we don't have a dishwasher although that would be wonderful sometimes uh so i'll actually like pick up bubbles and i'll like watch them pop for a bit like for a couple seconds i'll just watch them pop or i'll close my eyes and i'll feel the bubbles popping on my hand and it doesn't take a long period of time it's just like okay I'm getting pulled away into something that's like, like you're saying the stories, I'm getting pulled away into maybe something that's not even actually happening right now. And if, and noticing perhaps sometimes that I'm like, sometimes I'm feeling anxious for me. Sometimes I'm feeling anxious, not because of what's actually happening, but because of like what I'm thinking about in my mind. Right. So let's say I'm thinking about, I don't know, like, um, a conversation I need to have or a conversation that I did have like a long time ago. And I was like, Oh, I should have said this should have done this. And I notice in my body that there's some like anxious stuff happening there, right? Like I'm tight or like I'm not breathing well. And then I'll come back just to be like right here, right now, like, what's happening right here, right now. And I think that that's key because the way that we practice presence with the way that we practice being here now is to pay attention to what's actually happening right here, right now. And the way that we do that as animals is via sensory inputs, right? This is what I'm seeing right now. This is what I'm feeling right now. This is what I'm hearing, tasting, smelling. And like a technique that I like to use, especially for a lot of my clients that deal with like anxiety or um, like, let's say I have people who, have complex trauma and they like have a difficult time being out in public without getting triggered. Right. The trigger is not like, let's say um, 
for instance, I have a client who is at Starbucks and somebody gets a little bit too close to her. And that person doesn't mean her any harm, right? It has nothing to do with her really, but she senses that somebody's too close to her. Very easily she'll get triggered or she'll get hooked by something. She can start having a flashback. Um, and which I'm going to say is mind stuff that her mind is taking a feeling of something and running wild with, Oh, this is just like that. Like, and then she starts to panic. She gets really, really sweaty. And one of the techniques that we use when she's in public is when she recognizes that. Right. And the first thing is, is like recognizing that it's happening. Oh, I'm not really paying attention anymore. Or, Oh, I'm, Oh, this is a panic attack or, Oh, I'm feeling anxiety or, Right, like, oh, I'm worried about something, and then what we do with her is uh, the technique that she really likes because we've tried a bunch of them. What she does is rock forward and backward on her feet, and she feels that weight shift. Because, like, one thing that I'll say in, in yoga and meditation a lot of the times is like, you can't think like, let's go breathing. You can't think breathing. You can't think the feeling of your breath. You can think about the feelings of your breath, but you can't think feeling breathing. You can only feel breathing. And when you're feeling breathing, you're present. You're in that moment. As soon as you latch on to something else, like a concept, an idea, that's what takes us out of the present moment. Um, and that's not always a bad thing either, right? Like planning a vacation is like taking us out of this present moment. Where do I want to go? How do like, what kind of activities do I want to do? Right? Like we're projecting ourselves into the future in a very like functional way right or if i like recognize like i don't know about you but i had a bunch of relationships in the past where i figured out what i didn't want in a relationship by the things that happened in my old relationships and so i can project myself back into the past and be like oh yeah i don't i didn't like that about that person that's not the kind of partner that i want to have right or that's the kind of person that i used to be that's not the kind of person i want to be right now in my life and i can project myself in the past and be like well those are the things that I used to do. What do I want to do now? And then I'm going to start doing some of those things. But I think the easiest doorway into the, like what we'll call the present moment is via our senses. Any sense input, eyes, ears, tongue, nose, skin is the easiest way in. Thank you. I, I always, I always have some strategies to take back, whether it's for myself or again, in the teaching studio, when we're working with others and, and managing all of, all of the instruction. And I find too now that many of us are staying online, being mm -hmm. present, being present on Zoom or whatever platform you're using. It's so easy to go somewhere else right yeah because because yeah. they're not in the room with you so i want to thank you for this uh for this information where can people find and follow you um you i'm assuming are going to put my email in the i will put notes. your email in the show notes so people can so people can email me i'm totally open to that if anybody wants to find me on instagram uh, my handle is at move well feel good all one word Beautiful. Um, and you can contact me through there I'm also on, on Facebook, um, Steve Farrell Yoga and Ayurveda is, is what I go through, uh, sort of like my business site on, on Facebook. But awesome. I tend not to use Facebook a lot anymore. I'm much it, more Instagram. Yeah, Instagram is more fun, I think. I just don't have time for all of the things. Like people are like, 
I do the LinkedIn and I do this one and then I do this one. And I'm like, no, I'm like, I got two kids and a full-time job. <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta streamline everything that I do in Instagram. It's really good. For I moms. love it. I love it. I'll put all of the links to your socials on the show notes. Steve, thanks so much. We'll have you back soon on the podcast. Yeah, please. Before I introduce our next guest, I wanted to ask a question. How do you feel about your business website. Did you just scrunch up your nose? Did you just shake your head? Did you just shudder a little bit? Or do you feel really good about it? Do you do you recognize that your business website is probably one of the most important tools in marketing your studio and you've invested the time and energy into it? Or perhaps you're somewhere in the middle. Maybe you've got a good start, but you really need to update your website. Or maybe it's time for a rebrand. Maybe you need to really look at your offerings now that we've gotten to the other side of the pandemic and now your studio has changed, maybe there's a lot of things that you're not communicating. The other thing I wanted to mention is, have you gone through the onboarding process? Have you, have you gone through your website from the eyes of a customer, of a client, of a potential student? The thing with websites is that they are always needing updating and we need to revisit them in, in ways, uh, you know, regularly. So maybe not every month, but certainly every year. Now, I am thrilled that we have a new podcast expert. Her name is Angela Winter. And if for those of you who are new to the Full Voice podcast, when I bring experts on to the show, I want people who are in our industry, who are running teaching studios, who are musicians, who understand the challenges that we face in our industry. That's super important for all of the guests that you hear. So when you are listening to Michelle Marquardt DeVoe and she's talking about business, you need to know that she's also running a studio herself. That's so important. So that is something that is just, I think, what makes our podcast very special. So I am so thrilled. Angela Winter is not only an amazing voice teacher, has gone to school for singing and is an expert in that field, but one of her deep passions is working with creatives and working with teachers to build and design incredible websites. Angela's going to be dropping in from time to time to talk to us about the different aspects of websites and things we need to consider when we are either branding a new one, um, starting from scratch, or just updating our websites. So without further ado, I am so excited to introduce everyone to the delightful Angela Winter. Welcome to the Full Voice Podcast, Angela Winter. How are you? I'm good, Nikki. Thank you so much for having me. Angela, I uh, we were talking a little bit before I hit record and uh, I was telling Angela that I love websites. I love creating websites and I love looking at websites. I There's nothing I enjoy more than going to a really well done creative website. So I have so many questions for you. And I also want to, I also want to acknowledge that 
not everybody feels that way about websites, which is yeah. why, <laughs> which is why I have brought you here. So not only are you a voice teacher, but you have been creating, and I'm going to call them works of art because they truly are beautiful websites, but your passion is creating a beautiful websites for creatives. Tell everybody a little bit about your journey, how you got to that point. Yeah, sure. And thank you so much, Nikki. I really appreciate that. Um, so I, my background is in music. Um, I have two degrees in vocal performance and pedagogy and owned and operated a private studio for almost 12 years. Um, so that was kind of my, my first love, my first career. And then when my second daughter was born, I just, I realized I needed a break. Um, I'm a very introverted and creative person and I needed to step away from being with people at all times. Um, so I took, I took an extended maternity leave. I was like, I, I don't know when I'm coming back. Um, my, my students were all really cool. And it, it kind of in that process, while I was on maternity leave, like my mom wanted a website and I had recently done my own as well, but my mom wanted one and then her partner wanted one. And like, it was, it was so much fun, right? I was like, oh my God, I'm like sitting here on the couch with my baby on my chest, working, doing something I absolutely adore. Um, and I had always done my own. So I had that background and that love of kind of tinkering and figuring things out. Um, and so I just kind of started offering it out to my colleagues in the coaching and the teaching world. And it just kind of grew spontaneously and organically. Um, I learned as I went and dove deep as I needed to and really got to enjoy channeling my creative powers. Um, but I was, so I have, in addition to the voice teaching background, I'm also a certified life coach. Um, and so what I found in the process of creating the websites is that because I was able to connect to people at a deeper level through my coaching and through my deep um, spiritual and intuitive work that I, I do for myself, I was able to create a, a different sort of website experience than people were used to. Um, you know, I spoke, I was, I was working with, you know, predominantly colleagues, but I spoke the same language. Um, and so it was not a matter of translating technical jargon or, you know, a, an esoteric atmospheric visual idea into a completely different world, right? I was really able to merge the two. Um, but yeah, it's just grown ever since then and continues to grow. So. I love, I love what you were saying about really getting to know the person, uh, well, before you started their project. I mean, that is so important. Uh, I mean, a website truly is not just a reflection of our business and our business offers, but it has to, it has to tell people who we are and what we're about in order to be effective as a marketing tool. That, that is so interesting. And I would also agree that the fact that you had that background in voice training and music that you could also, uh, understand the, those important points for the, for the clients. Right. Right. Now I wanted to ask you your, your websites and I, I'm going to, I'm going to put links to, uh, uh, your information, but maybe a few of your, your samples of your work. 
I, they are truly like artistic, very visual with lovely graphics. You do that as well. You create those graphics for people. So you're also doing that creative work as well for your clients. Yes. Yeah. I, um, I would not call myself a graphic designer per se, but essentially I am. Um, so I'm, I'm curating, um, from various, graphic warehouses and then using those items to customize and create. Um, Sometimes I'm creating, you know, completely from scratch and others. It's um, I always think of it more as like a visual collage. Um, So I'm taking elements from different places and then arranging them, um, which is another passion of mine is, you know, even, even within my own home, I have little tableaus and collages everywhere to just bring out you know, my essence or whatever it is I'm wanting to capture. Oh, that is so good. I have a feeling that you and I would get along really well. My husband always jokes that I go shopping for fonts and graphics, like most women go shopping for clothes. And it's true. Uh, Do you spend like hours on those graphic and font sites? Do you like get, do you go down that rabbit hole? I do go down the rabbit hole. I don't so much to play because I'm very... Um, I'm very oriented. So when I'm working with a client, like I'm really tuning into the energy. And so when I'm going on, it's with a really clear sense of what, what I'm looking for, right. Of what will feel right. So sometimes it is, it is a rabbit hole of several hours, but a lot of times it's simply like putting it out there. Okay. I'm looking for this and this and this, and within a few pages, boom, it'll be there. Um, yeah, it's actually been really cool. I've had done several sites where like I just kind of stumble on a font and it feels right. And it turns out it's almost a mirror image of somebody's handwriting. Oh, um, so, wow. Yeah, it's been a really cool experience. <laughs> oh, but that's what happens when you get to know your clients really well, right? When you exactly. really understand them. I think I I think that uh, when I when I go to websites, you can tell if that work has been done or not. Like you can really tell if that the, the, uh, person has, has spent the time discovering, you know, how they want to portray themselves. And, and this falls under branding, correct? Yes. Yes. This is all part of branding. So, and, and I think that's, I think that's a tough concept for a lot of people. Sometimes we don't think about that. How do you, how do you explain branding to somebody who is new or maybe is wanting to work with you and you're trying to get the process started? Um, let's see. So I would talk about branding as kind of the, like they have a Venn diagram and one circle is you and one circle is your ideal clients. Where those two circles meet is what I consider the brand. Um, so the brand encompasses much more than just the colors or the fonts or the pictures, right? The, the brand is really, um, well, Amy Walsh is somebody who I follow. Um, and she really talks about how your brand is the prototype for the world you want to live in. Ooh, um, right. That's Which, what I, brilliant. I was like, oh my God, yes, those are the words. Um, so I really think of your, your brand is the world in which your business inhabits, right? And it's the world that your business is creating 
for your clients. It's the home, right? The website itself is the home, but the brand overall is the world. And that includes, yes, the visuals, but it also includes your offerings. It includes your languaging, your voicing, um, and how you communicate and how you show up um, in, in the world at large. You just gave me goosebumps when you were talking. <laughs> I love those conversations. And how beautiful that our industry is embracing all of this. Like, like I, I remember it was probably in the early two thousands and I was on the executive for the registered music teacher, uh, organization in Ontario. And I remember having the meeting and having to convince people that and doing presentations and having to convince people about how important it is just to have the website, <laughs> right? You know, oh no, no, we don't need a website, right? And, and I remember having these conversations with my colleagues and and again appreciating that, you know, many of my colleagues had already been teaching for 20, 30 years. So this is a huge transition. But I remember having that doing that presentation and 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 trying to convince people just of the importance of the website. But now we're, we're past that. <laughs> we, we understand now, but now we're using them to really be a part of our expression and a part of our, just what we say to people. I love everything that you're saying. When a client reaches out to you or when you start working with a client, can I ask what your first steps are? Like, what's the first meeting like? What do they need to bring to you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so ideally, you're going to have a sense of already, like kind of who you are, who your what your values are, what your philosophy is as a teacher, and the people that you most love to work with, right? You're um, in, in business language, your ideal client, right? Or your ideal student um, or parent, right? Sometimes the parents are actually the ideal clients because they're with the purchasing power. Um, it works best if you also have some experience um, because it takes time, right? It takes action to build that clarity around who you most love to work with. Um, and so for my process, because I go so deep, having at least those basics in place um, are really, really helpful. I often talk about it as a four-step process, and this kind of gets into branding in general. And I and I do have resources um, that I'm both creating and some of which exist for kind of like that preparatory branding piece. But it's it's the understanding who you are, who your ideal person is, where they intersect, and how those people work with you. Um, so having a sense, right, of your offerings. Um, but beyond that, um, I'm happy for them to show up with a clean slate. Ah, um, good. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the, really the first step after, you know, we do the contract and invoicing and all of that, um, paperwork is the branding consultation. Um, and this is really the heart of my work, um, Honestly, I kind of consider it my superpower. Like this is this is the meat of of my work with somebody, and it's a like a seventy five to ninety minute um, session where we do a really deep dive. So I start out with meditation, and then we ask all sorts of questions around um, you know your passion, your superpower, um, what lights you up, kind of you know what is your story, um, kind of your vision 
vision of the world, the psychographics or the adjectives that would describe your ideal clients um, and all their facets, how they see the world, what they need to believe about the world in order to see you. So all of these really deep questions. Um, and then I do another meditation and we go into kind of an intuitive visualization around the visuals of the site. Um, so a lot of times people will see certain colors or they'll see certain images um, because I'm a firm believer that our mind cannot capture our truth, only our soul can. And so we have to get below the chatter of the mind in order to bring up that deeper vision. Wow, Angela, I now understand why your websites are so powerful. <laughs> and now I, I'm going to play devil's advocate. Uh, so I, I, I could have a listener out there who's maybe feeling a little overwhelmed. And I think that with approaching you know, these kind of, this is, this is a big topic. These are big questions. And, and perhaps, perhaps a a teacher hasn't taken the time or is working maybe through some things. Maybe they're trying to pivot their studio or change. Um, do you find that sometimes teachers have blocks and, and if you do, how do you help them through those blocks? Uh, yes, absolutely. I do. I do find that. Um, one of the biggest blocks that comes up is actually often around visibility. Um, you know, I tend to work more with women um, or female identifying people. And with that identity in the world comes a lot of uh, stuff, right, from, from the patriarchal world that we inhabit. And uh, so visibility comes up a lot um, Sometimes it is also fear of kind of not wanting to leave anybody out, right? Like if, if you specify only the ideal client, like what happens to all of the other people? Um, so there is some of that that comes up. What I, what I really do in both of those situations, um, first, I do have sessions available throughout our design process uh, two of them are built into the package, but additional ones are available. And those sessions become anything from coaching, um, you know, to work on uh, topics that arise like that to just general feedback about the design. Um, so there is some built-in support where it is needed. Um, but also like when that arises during say the branding consultation, um, it's really a matter of bringing them back, right? Bringing them back to the question, bringing them back to the soul, bringing them back to that deep inner inner guidance, um, you know, whatever you want to call it. If soul doesn't resonate, find the words that do, the gut feeling, um, that gut knowing. And again, moving, allowing the mind to quiet and move below that surface. Um, but I will also often ask a lot of questions you know, follow-up questions. Um, you know, I have I have the scripted questions for the consult, but yeah, when there is resistance or blocks or something, it it becomes a coaching conversation of where where is that nudge? And some people can go deeper than others, and that's all perfectly okay. Um, you know, there is there is no right or wrong to this process, and I fully believe that you know we are constantly evolving, and what arises, you know, at one point 
may be different than what arises five years down the road. Um, but what I really try to do is get to a core level that can remain essentially the same. Um, so, for example, I'm, re, I'm actually currently redoing my own website and, and changing up the branding. Um, but what I'm finding is, although I'm changing my colors a bit and I'm changing my fonts, like the messaging is exactly the same. And the overall feel to the visuals that I'm using is also the same, um, which is why I believe so strongly in this process. Because if we get to the core, then people know what it's like to work with you regardless. Yeah, that is so that is so beautiful. I was wondering what your opinions are on how often someone should kind of I I don't want to use the word rebrand, but when when do you feel people need to like freshen things up? What's a good What's a, is there like a time period or is it just like, you know, I did this, the website's not serving me anymore. What's your opinion on that? Um, my opinion is definitely there's no, there's no time limit, um, but it's really based on your own and your business's evolution. Mm. Um, so, you know, when you look at your site and you want to gag, like it's time. <laughs> when you, <laughs> you look at your business and you're having completely different clientele or completely different offerings, it's time. Now, sometimes different offerings don't require a rebrand, right? Because the messaging, the feeling of it is all the same. You're just packaging it differently. Sure. Um, and sometimes that can be the case with the clients as well. Um, but usually when, when you have undergone a big shift or when your clientele has undergone a big shift, um, those are going to be the key times to really think about redoing a website. And I guess uh, it would be fair to say the pandemic and whether we've shifted to like online lessons or or maybe we have a hybrid service now, like there's a lot of change that has been forced upon us. So perhaps, perhaps we might, <laughs> we might need to relook at our, we take a look at our, our websites and, and re, reword a few things. Yeah, at the very least changing copy around um, can be very beneficial. Mm. I love it. If uh, I want, well, first of all, I'm going to put links in the show notes and I, um, I want to encourage people who are interested in uh, website design. I want them to, to uh, visit you and, and follow you. And your, your website is awakenedcreator.com. Correct. Oh, I want people to check it out. It's truly beautiful work. Now, Angela, you have such insight um, on so many levels about websites. We are going to have you back because uh, I have even more burning questions. And I know that uh, my listeners uh, are going to appreciate your expertise. So thank you so much for your time today. We'll have you back on another episode. And I cannot wait. Thank you so much, Nikki. It was a pleasure speaking with you. A very special thank you to my wonderful guests, Steve Farrell and Angela Winter. Please, friends, find and follow them on the socials. You can check out their information on the show notes, or you can visit our podcast page on our website, Full voicemusic.com new website lots of fun things there 
As always, my friends, in this busy season, I am wishing you successful recitals, a successful examinations, and I am also hoping that you find some moments of peace and reflection and gratitude and you get to enjoy your day. As always, as always, I am wishing you inspired teaching and happy singing. Thank you.